Well, it's great to be with you this morning. And I trust that the blessing of the Lord is richly upon you. We do need to be mindful this morning of those in need for different reasons, whether that be physical or family related or just the challenges of life and maybe at the end of the service, because I know there were one or two folk who raised their hands when the call for prayer came. Well, if you wanted us to pray for you, then please do not leave here today without having done so. And it's the Lord himself who heals. We don't have any virtue, do we? We don't have the power. It's the Lord himself who comes and he does his work. So with that in mind, let us turn to the word of the Lord. I'd like to read from the book of Philippians, if you brought your Bibles with you here today. And the passage I wanted to draw your attention to is found in Philippians chapter 4, reading from verse 2 down to verse 9. Now, before we actually read this passage, we need some background as to where we're up to in the journey of faith for this community of God's people there in eastern Greece. We know from the book of Acts that the church in Philippi was established by Paul. And you remember how Paul was ministering in Asia Minor and on a specific moment he received a vision of a man from Macedonia. And that vision was a word of request. Come over and help us. And Paul, captivated by this vision, in obedience to the word of the Lord, heads west and heads into Eastern Europe. When he arrives there, ironically, he doesn't bump into a man, does he? He bumps into a woman whose name was Lydia. And the Bible says of Lydia that God did two things. In her heart at that point. Number one, it says of Lydia that God opened her heart. And then secondly, she opened her home. Friends, when it comes to the advance of the gospel and the furtherance of God's kingdom and the establishing of new churches and the onward vision of mission, unless God actually begins to open people's hearts, then there's very little that can be accomplished. As much as though we can do a great deal in our own strength, actually it's the Lord who builds his church. And what we need to understand that as the word of the Lord came to Paul, he then went out in obedience to that word. He arrives then in Philippi thinking that he'll bump into a man because that's what he saw in the vision. But actually God had other plans. And I think one of the remarkable things about the outworking of God's will is that we have to be ready for God to do things differently than what we expect. Sometimes we're looking for one thing and God says, I've got something else for you. Sometimes our thinking is around what we think may happen. We have an idea as to what we would like to happen. But actually when we arrive, as Paul did, suddenly... Instead of bumping into a man, he bumps into a woman. A woman of high standing within the community. A businesswoman. An entrepreneur. Somebody who had great favour. And God worked through her heart. And it's incredible how when you read the book of Acts, that very often God has key people, doesn't he? In different locations. At specific times. God has a man or a woman or a couple like Priscilla and Aquila Strategic individuals who become the means of grace by which God actually establishes his work. God's not looking for a big crowd this morning. He's looking for hearts. Individuals. 
The Bible says in the book of Chronicles that the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth. That he might show himself strong on those whose hearts are perfect towards him. So God is on the lookout here today, isn't he? He's looking for people who are humble, obedient, willing to serve, willing to sacrifice. Those who have a heart to see God's kingdom advance. So we come to the book of Philippians and obviously the church was established in that city. Paul then finds himself in prison. You have to remember that Philippi was a Roman colony filled with Roman lawyers and retired soldiers and people of Roman influence. Those who held to Caesar being the God of the world as it were. So therefore, for Paul to come with this gospel message, sometimes we see that as that which God would bring, but for Paul it would be a means of conflict. Because as a result of the gospel, Paul would find himself in prison. But even that Paul saw as a means of grace, because he said that because of my chains, even those in Caesar's household have come to hear about the gospel. You know, sometimes you've got to suffer for the gospel to advance. And he would say that my chains have served to advance the gospel. Here we have a guy in prison. He should have been the one receiving the help and the support and the prayer requests. But no, he turns it around, as often was the case. And he says, I'm going to pray for you. You're on my heart. And the gospel went into the corridors of power because of Paul's suffering. And sometimes what we tend to think in terms of suffering is what would be perceived as a barrier, a speed bump, a hindrance, something that holds us back, but actually God uses it, doesn't he? For the advance of his kingdom. Paul was in chains. And as a result of his imprisonment, there was a man called Epaphroditus who came from the church in Philippi to bring gifts and food and resource to Paul. He got himself into trouble as a result of going to Paul. But actually Paul then said, look, as you have been a blessing to me, God is able to provide all of your needs. God will bless you as you've blessed me. God is able to make every grace abound. So as you have come to my need and come to my support, so the Lord is going to bless you. And that's what happened. So Paul writes to the church in Philippi and said, look, this partnership in the gospel, you've been an overflow of grace in my life. And as God has provided my needs through you, so you are going to see the bountiful supply of God's needs in your life. And he talks about this in chapter four. But the theme very often hinges on Paul's own experience in life. And suffering becomes one of the key themes of this book. It's not something that Paul often writes about, but he says, look, my passion and my burden is that I might know Christ. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Now, we like the first bit. We like the resurrection talk. But what about the suffering bit? You can't have the two together separated. They are very often Siamese twins. 
that to enter into the fullness of the power of God and of the preaching of the gospel, there will be times when suffering will be encountered in whatever way, shape or form that is. So Paul is writing about this. He talks very clearly in chapter 2 about an example that we have in Christ concerning humility. He says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ. And then he talks about how Christ came, was incarnated, took upon himself the mantle of a servant, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And then the Bible says that God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. That at that name every tongue will bow, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to the glory of Jesus Christ. And he says this is the culture of how church should be. Humility, faith, love, obedience and suffering. So we come to chapter 4, which is my text for here today, where it says this. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. What is remarkable here in this passage is that Paul is talking about two slightly related issues. But nonetheless, they were separate issues. He was talking about women and he was talking about worry. Sometimes those two things go together. <laughs> Not in every case. But in life. And Paul is dealing with the reality of the challenges that the church was facing. So therefore he begins by talking about an issue amongst his own team. These weren't normal church attendees. They were people who had laboured with Paul side by side in the gospel. But he says to these two ladies, Euodia and Syntyche, he pleads and he asks that they might agree in the Lord. He also then reaches out and asks for some help in terms of possible areas of mediation. Now, we're not told what the problem was. We're not told how it was resolved or what the root cause of this problem. But what Paul highlights here, and I think it's an important issue within church life, whether that be relative to women or relative to men, that very often, even within the companionship, the fellowship of the gospel, as it were, 
There will be times when people see things differently. People won't always agree. That's life, isn't it? And Paul recognises this. And he entreats these two ladies to agree in the Lord. They were those who had served and faithfully walked with Paul. Together in the gospel. Together as those who would be instruments of grace in the lives of others. So even those who serve faithfully, those who carry the gospel, those who are at the forefront of God's purpose and will, there will be seasons where there might be or even will be disagreements. And Paul is seeking to challenge these two ladies that they might find a place of reconciliation. And that is true within the gospel, within the church as a whole. God calls us to peace, doesn't he? There will be times when different people see things differently. It's possible to disagree with a person, but still walk in a spirit of agreement. There's a difference between uniformity and unity. Uniformity is when we're all called or we feel as though we've all got to agree on everything all the time. We've all got to look the same, sound the same and behave the same. That's uniformity. But unity is actually something that works deeper than that. Unity can exist even when there is disagreement. You can disagree with a person and still walk in a spirit of agreement. And the sign of true unity is not the pursuit of uniformity, but actually the agreement around, well, some of us might see things differently, but by the grace and the mercy of God, we're going to walk in faith, we're going to walk in obedience. For the higher call of the gospel, we're going to be a people who walk in a spirit of grace. God understands how you feel. He understands how I feel. We may see things differently in different areas. But true unity is that which is revealed even when we might see things differently. So Paul begins by exhorting these two faithful ladies to simply work out whatever was causing division amongst them. To agree in the Lord. But then he moves on and he talks about worry. He talks about the fact that in life and in ministry, there are often times and seasons where we come up against that which causes anxiety, concern, doubt. He covers an enormous amount of theological territory here in these latter verses. He begins by exhorting the church, as often that he did, to rejoice in the Lord. And the fact that he repeated it would lay more urgency upon the need to rejoice in the Lord. To agree in the Lord, that was the message to the two ladies. To rejoice in the Lord was something that the whole church had to embrace. He talked about the fact that in this rejoicing process, that their humility or reasonableness be seen to everyone. This is true unity evidence yet more. The evidence of the outworking of grace in people's lives and the need for us not simply to talk about what we believe, but to act in line with what we believe. And he talks about this. So how do we then look at this whole theme of overcoming worry and anxiety? 
It's something that affects most people at some time or another. Everyone in life will face seasons where they feel that the challenges of life and the difficulties that they face sometimes can be quite overwhelming. Worry, anxiety, fear. I mean, Jesus was very clear, wasn't he, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, look, don't worry about anything. For if God can clothe the lilies of the field and feed the fish in the sea and feed the birds of the air, there's no striving in nature. Nature just takes its course. So he said, if God the Father can clothe nature and feed its animals, then surely he can look after your needs. Are you not greater than they? Are you not of greater value than the trees and the bees and the birds and the fish? Are we not made in God's image? So Paul says in this letter that we are not to be anxious about anything. Now, were it not for the fact that it was Paul who said this and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, then we would think that this is setting the bar too high. This is unreasonable. To expect us to go through life without worry, surely that's beyond our grasp. But actually, Paul is very clear this morning, and we need to hear what he says. We need to take on board by the Spirit of the Lord at work in our hearts. So how does he then practically and clearly help us overcome this? When he says, do not be anxious about anything, he's not being over-romantic, he's not raising the bar beyond that which can be attained, he's actually saying something that within the context of God's will, it is possible. So there's a difference between finding yourself anxious about something, but then living a life filled with anxiety. There's two different dimensions there. Yes, there will be times and seasons when we find ourselves maybe worried or concerned about an issue, a concern about a personal problem. That's natural. But actually what Paul is talking about here is living a life filled with God's peace. And on two occasions, Paul talks about the peace of God. He talks about it both in the context of our hearts and minds and he talks about it in the context of practical obedience that the God of peace will be with you. So what are the things that we can draw from this passage here today? Well, the first thing I believe that Paul gives as a practical step in helping to overcome anxiety, fear and worry is right praying. What does he say? He says, the Lord is at hand. Okay, God is here. He's not some distant God who sits on a cloud beyond reach and understanding, but the Lord is amongst us. And he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto the Lord. So what is the first remedy that Paul gives us in terms of living a life that is free from some of the shackles of anxiety and worry? Well, it's right praying. You pray. Very often the thing that gets aborted when we're filled with anxiety is that we stop talking to the Lord. We stop reading his word. We become overwhelmed by that which is seeking to work against us. But Paul is saying, no, don't be anxious about anything. But 
you've got to pray. With thanksgiving. So what does prayer with thanksgiving mean? Well, not only are we to seek the Lord concerning that which concerns us, but also we are to be mindful of the fact that we should pray in faith. Not vain repetition, but rather we should pray with a spirit of understanding and a spirit of thanksgiving as we make our requests known unto the Lord. And the word supplication is linked with another word that we know of, which is the word supply. Supplication. So we're asking the Lord to supply what we need. So what is the answer to the supply chain? Well, it's God himself. So when we pray about something that might be causing anxiety, the first thing that we need is an encounter with the Lord. Not a gift dropped out of heaven. That may come in the process. But whenever we feel anxious, whenever we feel worried, then what we need is the peace of God. Right praying. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known unto the Lord. The second thing is right thinking. It talks about the peace of God, the first reference made in this passage. And it says of this peace that it surpasses all understanding. So it's not something that can be worked out in your own head and logically configured for you to understand it from a natural perspective. It's a gift. It is the Lord himself, the peace of God. Because through the word we're told that not only do we have peace with God through his blood, death and resurrection, through Jesus, his life and ministry, we have peace with God, but also we have the peace of God. One is that which pertains to relationship and the other is to do with righteousness. Those two things, yes, are very much intertwined, but actually not only do you have peace with God today, but you have the peace of God. And it says of this peace that it surpasses all understanding. But also this peace is like an army, a garrison. Talks about guarding your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a military term. For the peace of God to guard our hearts and minds. Because very often our peace can be so easily in pieces. It's impossible for a mind that is filled with anxiety and the peace of God to rule in that mind for those two things to happen at once. Something always has to give. The Bible says to be earthly minded is death, but to be heavenly minded is life and peace. The Bible has so much to say about the renewal of the mind, doesn't it? Right thinking. How does God transform and reconfigure our minds to think differently? Anxiety always flourishes very often in a mind that is unrenewed or only partially renewed to the word of the Lord. And we all face that. Let's be honest here this morning. No one can say, well, I never struggle with these things. I never wrestle with negative thoughts. We all do at different times. But the Bible gives a very clear word that there is the peace of God. And maybe this morning that's what some of you need. Maybe all of us need it. The peace of God. 
Our minds are to be renewed. As Paul writes in the book of Romans chapter 12, that we're not to conform to the ways of this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then, he says, we will be able to test and approve what God's perfect will is. His good, acceptable and perfect will. So a renewed mind is what proves the will of God. To test the will of God. So if you're struggling to come to terms with what the will of God is, then it begins as we allow our minds to be renewed to God's word. Not to conform to the ways of this world, but be transformed. So all of us are conforming to something here today. It's either the ways of the world or the ways of the kingdom. We have that choice here this morning. Right thinking. He says, look, whatever is honourable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. He says, think about these things. Think about that which is virtuous, wholesome and true. Because very often worry will flourish when we allow things to enter into our minds that don't build faith. The conflict with the truths of God's word. When we allow even opinions or negativity to creep in. We have to be those who focus upon that which is honourable and true. Sometimes that means we have to turn off the TV. We have to stop reading the newspaper. We have to focus on that which, as Paul says, is just honourable, true. Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Excellent. Worthy of praise. He says, think about these things. Now, the word think there is not just a momentary thought. It is a condition of outlook and perspective. Be filled with that which is holy unto the Lord. The problem may not disappear. The issue may not go. The thing that troubles you may still remain. But what can happen is that your perspective changes. Your outlook changes. The thing that you saw as a mountain one minute becomes a molehill the next. Not that the problem has gone away. What has changed is your perspective and your heart, your vision. Right thinking, right praying, and thirdly, and with this I come to an end, right living. I love what Paul says right at the end. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Now you could argue, here's Paul, the father figure over the church, an elder statesman in the Lord. He is saying, look, whatever you've seen in me, then see that as an example. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, surely to say something so audacious could be seen as quite arrogant or self-centered or whatever you care to mention. But actually, Paul, because he was an apostle of humility and even weakness, And he boasted in those things that not made him look great, but rather he boasted in the things that made him look weak. Why? Because God's strength was made perfect in weakness. So because of his own humility, he then had the spiritual authority to say, look, 
Whatever you've learned, received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Put them into practice. Right praying, right thinking, right living. How we conduct ourselves in our lives. Are we walking in faith, love and obedience? Are we walking worthy of the calling of the Lord upon our lives? Because Paul says, and the God of peace will be with you. As we think right, as we live right, as we pray right, as we walk worthy of our calling in prayer, in meditation and in obedience, then again God says, I am with you. The God of peace is with you. And it's that peace, isn't it? That's what we need. It's God himself. Peace doesn't exist apart from the Lord. It is the presence of the Lord. It is God making himself real in our hearts. And today, what is it that we need the most? It may be a breakthrough. It might be an answer to a certain prayer. An act of deliverance, maybe. Something that rescues us. We feel held hostage to things in life. But actually, those things, even though they are important to see and to understand, it is God himself. The God of peace who transforms us. It is the peace of God surpassing all understanding that guards our hearts and our minds in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's just pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths therein. We thank you for this blessed opportunity that we've had to share together from your scriptures. Bless this word to people's hearts. May we be a people who pray right, who think right, who live right. And then we have that confidence to know that you're with us. And whatever battle or hurdle that people face here today, may our hearts be renewed to your word. And I just want to pray that over every single person, that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you need that gift, if you need that very evidence of God's presence in your life, then it's there to be received by faith. In the name of Jesus. Amen.